Welcome to Equipping the Body. I'm Dr. Brad Starnes, and today we're continuing our walk through the book of Luke. And we've come now to Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter number 6, and I'm looking forward to it, as I'm sure you are. You know, in the Old Testament, God commanded the people of Israel to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. Exodus 28 through 10. So this was one of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai to bring to the people of Israel. The Jewish Sabbath was on Saturday, and for this reason, the Jews of Jesus' day and today go to synagogue on Saturdays, whereas Christians in the church age, we worship on Sunday, a.k.a. the Lord's Day, because that's the day that the Lord arose. Now, the Pharisees that we've seen in the book of Luke, as I've told you, they took the laws of the Old Testament and carried them to their extreme often adding their own regulations on top of the laws. This, of course, is known as legalism, which is regulations and made-up man-made rules on top of what God said. And it was the central piece of Jesus' condemnation for the Pharisees was their legalism. Most notably in Matthew 23, where Jesus spent an entire chapter uh, tearing the Pharisees to pieces. Um, in fact, in that chapter, he said this, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Now, these extra burdens Jesus spoke of, while referring to several things, indicates the extra rules of the Pharisees. So, i got to be honest, just breaking away from my notes, this is a big point of contention with me because I was raised in a legalistic environment um, in a denomination that I'll not name, just out of respect for people that uh, may you know, be there. But um, it, it was a splinter off of the Southern Baptist Convention way before any of us were born, and it came into its own movement, and it was marked by extreme legalism. For example, the Bible says do not get drunk, but I was taught you weren't allowed to go to restaurants that served alcohol. And see, the line was already in the sand, do not get drunk, but the legalists, like what I was raised in, they added, they moved the line to where a place where God never moved it. Um, and it, and it's so obviously contradictory because uh, we go to Walmart, and Walmart sells alcohol. We go to Bilo to buy our groceries or Aldi's to buy our groceries, and guess what? They sell alcohol, so what's the difference? There is no difference. These are man-made rules in order to suppress other people. So, and, and it's funny because I would grow up in these churches, and there'd be people, and they would look down on men if your hair touched your ears, or they would look down on women that wore pants, but yet these same women in the church were having affairs on their husbands. Um you know, <laughs> talk about swallowing a gnat and straining a camel, uh, swallowing a camel and straining a gnat, rather. They, they made mountains out of molehills when they themselves were adulterers. So legalism really is a pet peeve with me, um, just to be honest. So anyways, that was the Pharisees. They were legalists. And so Jesus often tore them to pieces. Um, 
and they were big on do as I say, not as I do. So, anyways, I'll, I'll get off that and move on. Now, the the situation of legalism comes up in Luke 6, 1 through 5, when it comes to the Sabbath. That's why I've talked so much about the Sabbath at the beginning. Now, the Sabbath um, was, uh, of course, the day of rest, and, and the Bible has... You know, the Old Testament that they were operating under, the Mosaic Law, uh, Exodus chapter 20, part of the Ten Commandments, just so happens, was simply do not work on the Sabbath. That's it. It doesn't say anything about um, emergencies. It doesn't say anything about, um, it doesn't even try to qualify what work is. It just gives a blanket statement, you know, don't work, okay, on the Sabbath. Rest on the Sabbath. See, it's not meant to be, it, the Sabbath was a gift. It wasn't a regulation, but that, that's beside the point. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's what the Sabbath said. Now, however, the Pharisees took this to the extreme that so much so that they considered dragging a stick across the ground on the Sabbath. You were guilty of working because that was plowing. So if you're walking down the street, you know, you ever pick up, I remember when I'd be walking in the woods as a kid when there were still woods around here for all these houses, you know, I might pick up a stick and just kind of twiddle it in my hands. They considered that working because if you picked up that stick and twiddled it in your hand, this is this is accurate. You can research this. Uh, they, they considered that plow. I mean, the Pharisees, they were just super, super legalistic. Um, now, before you laugh, okay, this same brand of thinking exists today. Case in point, the, the denomination I was raised in, adding all these rules uh, to the Bible that are not in the Bible. And, uh, and so th- this is still around. For, for example, you know, the Bible says that a woman should not adorn the clothes of a man. It's talking about the battle garb. The word in Hebrew actually refers to the battle garb. And that's true. Uh, cross-dressing, transgenderism, it's, it's sinful, 100%. The denomination I grew up in would take that verse and say, see, women can't wear pants. Well, let me explain to you why that's idiotic. Pants didn't exist when that verse was written. Nobody wore pants. So it can't, pants can't be the line when both men and women wore robes that looked the same. So to say, well, that's talking about pants. You're literally reading your culture into it when pants didn't even exist. The, the writer of that passage didn't even know what a pair of pants was. So how could he be talking about something he didn't even know what it was? But that's just one example of the extreme idiotic nature of legalism because it's all about suppressing others in order to elevate yourself. And that's what the Pharisees did best. So with all that being said, this issue comes up between Jesus and the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath. So Luke chapter 6, I begin our reading in verse number 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And so what we find here then is this. 
the Savior's sovereignty over the Sabbath. Now, you know the Savior's Jesus. You know what the Sabbath is. I've been talking about it for 10 minutes. And when I say sovereignty, is supremacy, his dominion. He is in charge of it. So quite simply, we're looking at this thought, the Savior's sovereignty over the Sabbath. Now, our story is broken into three sections. Verses 1 through 2, we have the serious accusation of the Savior. The, Sabbath, the Pharisees accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. That's a serious accusation. Number 2, in verses 3 through 4, we have the scriptural justification by the Savior. He justifies himself by using the scripture. And then finally, in number 5, verse 5, we have the significant proclamation from the Savior when he says, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So let's look at each one of these. Number one, the serious accusation of the Savior. The serious accusation of the Savior in verses one and two. So we find our Savior on the Sabbath making his journey with his disciples. They pass through a field and being hungry, they pick some corn and eat. This was acceptable on any other day. For one of the mercy laws, as they have been called, permitted travelers to pick enough to eat when they passed a field as long as they did not lay a sickle to the field and try to harvest. At that point, it would be considered stealing. Deuteronomy 23:25. However, the Pharisees saw this thing as working on the Sabbath, and so we have a serious accusation of the Savior. They asked, why are you doing what is not lawful? Now, why do I call this a serious accusation? Well, Though they didn't realize it, they are literally accusing God of breaking the Bible. That's pretty serious. Jesus is God. The Bible is God's word. He wrote God's word. So to accuse Jesus of breaking biblical law is to accuse God of breaking his own word. And so that's a pretty serious accusation if you ask me. How did they suppose uh, that the disciples and Jesus had violated the law? I mean, they weren't working. Well, hold on. In their definition, they were working. Not what the Bible actually says, but their little spin on it. So they had broken four of the forbidden forms of work, as it was called, reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing. Now, according to the Pharisees, by plucking a few pieces of corn, Jesus and his disciples had reaped. By rubbing them in their hands, stripping them of their outer shell, they had threshed. And by throwing the husk on the ground, they had winnowed. And finally, by eating lunch, they had prepared food. Now, you and I both know, anybody that's had a garden or been a farmer, that what they did was not reaping and threshing. They picked enough to eat for lunch and went on about their business. They weren't out there working hours on end to make money. That would have been a violation of the Sabbath law. But the Pharisees took the Sabbath law to the extreme and added their little twist to it to say, well, you can't do anything on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus said later on, what? If your ox is in a ditch, get it out. And so we have the serious accusation. Now, I want you to understand that this serious accusation was based on personal indignation. They were not offended that Jesus had broke the law of God, quote-unquote. They were offended that Jesus had broke the laws of the Pharisees. You see, they weren't. They were playing the holier-than-thou card. Oh, you're sinning. No, they were offended that somebody broke their rules. And so this serious accusation of the Savior was based on personal indignation. Now, secondly... 
not only the serious accusation of the Savior that was based on personal indignation, but the scriptural justification by the Savior based on principled interpretation. Jesus defends himself with the Bible. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let me say this in passing. We must be able to defend our beliefs and our actions by the word of God. We ought to have enough of the word of God in our hearts and in our brains that we can defend and justify our actions based on the word of God. We ought to, therefore, live by the word of God. And that's what Jesus did. So we have a serious accusation. Jesus comes back with the scriptural justification. He quotes the story of David from 1 Samuel 21. When David ate the showbread because there was literally nothing else to eat. He wasn't eating the showbread to be disrespectful. He wasn't trying to just disrespect God. There literally was nothing else to eat. And the showbread that he ate, I was reading 1 Samuel 21 this morning, actually, as a matter of fact, as, as providence would have it, had already been removed from the table of the Lord. It was going to be placed out for seven days and then thrown away anyway. So, uh, again... Uh, he quotes the scripture and he in, he interprets the scripture by showing that the ceremonial law, which is what they were getting at, even though it was not really the ceremonial law, it was their version of the ceremonial law, does not outweigh the moral law. The ceremonial law was temporary. The moral law is permanent. Ceremonial law, you know, kill a lamb and sprinkle its blood on the mercy seat. Well, we don't do that anymore. Why? Because Jesus is the lamb and his blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven. So the temporary things of the Old Testament were something the Pharisees took to the extreme. But basically, I just want to say this. He interpreted the Bible uh, in a principled fashion. He allowed Scripture to measure Scripture. He said, yes, the Bible does say don't work on the Sabbath, but... David ate the showbread when he had nothing else to eat. And so he allows the Bible to interpret the Bible. Now, you say, well, God's word contradicts. No, you just need to understand the difference between the moral law and the ceremonial law. Huge difference. I don't have time to get into all that today. I just hit on it briefly. So Jesus responds. He said, And I love how he responds because it's sarcasm. He's talking to the Pharisees who walked around with a flat tree on their head. Now, flat tree was a little piece of scripture in a little box, and they literally wore it around their hat. So, in other words, they walked around with the Bible taped to their forehead. Pretty religious stuff. And Jesus, and you can hear the sarcasm, looks at the people with the Bible taped on their forehead and says, Have you guys never read the Bible? <laughs> he says, Have you never even read this? You know, uh, just ultimate insult, ultimate insult to the Pharisees. And so he has a scriptural justification. He defends what he's doing with the Bible. Now, not only the uh, serious accusation that was based on personal indignation, and then the Savior's uh, scriptural justification that was based on principled interpretation, See, we interpret the Bible using the Bible. That's what I mean by that. We don't just interpret it by our own agendas. We allow the biblical principles laid out in the entire Bible to interpret each part of the Bible. I tell my people at Cedar Shoals this. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So now we've come to number three, the significant proclamation from the Savior. Ah. 
Now we've come to something here. What does he say? Well, he says in Luke 5, and he said to them, Luke 6, 5, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Reminds me of what R.C. Sproul once said about this verse, that it is pregnant with spiritual truth. Jesus makes a bold, significant proclamation, the significant proclamation from the Savior that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. How is it significant? And what makes it such a big deal? Well, number one, it was a proclamation with a prophetic implication. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, he didn't just claim to be a son of man. He claimed to be the son of man. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, Daniel is given a vision of one like the son of man, so like a man, who comes on the clouds, rules and reigns with God, and is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now, we know that the phrase son of man was used in the Old Testament just to describe men. Ezekiel used it to describe himself. But the son of man was a prophetic title that spoke of, in the Old Testament, of the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one of God that would come in the future. And so Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, I'm a son of man, you're a son of man. No, no, no. He says, the son of man. So he is referencing. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, it might go over your head, but those Pharisees, they knew exactly what he was saying. And that's what made them so angry. That's why they hated Jesus. That's why they accused Jesus. Uh, he makes himself equal with God. Well, yeah, he did. And yet it's funny because we hear the liberals say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, the Pharisees sure took it that way because they knew when Jesus would quote these Old Testament verses and talk about himself, they knew what he was getting at. And so it was a proclamation with a prophetic implication. He's implying the prophecy in the Old Testament was really about him. That's significant, ladies and gentlemen. Secondly, it was a proclamation with a divine insinuation. He is insinuating, he is implying that he himself is divine because he says the Son of Man, that's big enough, but what does he say? The Son of Man is Lord over the Sabbath. Who's Lord over the law? The giver of the law, God himself. So put it together. His proclamation significant. Because of its divine insinuation. In other words, he's saying, I am God and I am over the Sabbath. No, nobody was over the law except the Lord God. But Jesus is claiming that the Son of Man is the Lord, is over the Sabbath. That's amazing. In other words, Jesus is claiming divinity deity. He is saying, I am God. No wonder he said, I am my father one. No wonder John said, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That's true. But the word was God. Isn't that amazing? So it was a claim, a proclamation with the divine insinuation. And the son of man title is so brilliant. Because it does speak of his human nature and the fact that it has the word man in it. And he was human. But it also speaks of his divine nature in that the son of man 
in the Old Testament was this prophetic super figure that was going to come and be equal with God because he was God, predicted in Daniel 7, 13, and 14. It's just simply an amazing term. And so the Savior is sovereign over the Sabbath. Now, the whole point of that was not just to make the Pharisees have a bad day, but to get us to understand that, yes, there was this Sabbath, and it was meant to be a rest period. It was a gift. They had turned it into another rule to put on top of the backs. And as Jesus said, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. But the big picture is that Jesus is not only Jesus is God, sure, and that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, but the big application is we need to be careful about misconstruing law, especially ceremonial law that's not even in effect anymore, and, and, and trying to marry it to New Testament Christianity in a way that it was never intended, because the law was meant to be a shadow. And there, that's such a longer conversation than I have time for. So we've noted the Savior sovereign over the Sabbath by exa examining the serious accusation of the Savior the scriptural justification by the Savior, and finally the significant proclamation from the Savior. Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath law. He did not, and yet something more serious was revealed, and that's this. He is the Lord of Sabbath by virtue of him being God. Now, in conclusion, the Savior is sovereign over the Sabbath. This leads us to several things. First of all, this should be considered the eternal point that Jesus is God. And since Jesus is God, his word is to be obeyed. Now, it also leads us to realize that Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. That he is the promise of the Old Testament that was concealed, now in the New Testament, revealed. In other words, it's all about Jesus. It always has been. And third of all, and this is just a little side application, let us not make the mistakes of the Pharisees of adding to the, the laws of God because the Bible does have laws and rules in it. Duh. I mean, nobody's denying that. But it's never, ever our job to add to that our own little regulations and then elevate our own little regulations to the point where we consider it equal with the Bible. And that's exactly what legalism does. The Savior is sovereign over the Sabbath. Keep studying the book of Luke, and I hope that you'll be back with us next time.